If you would take your Bible this evening and turn again to the book of Jude. And while you're turning there, I'd just like to again to share a little testimony, I guess. I appreciate Lighthouse Baptist Church. You know, we talk about a work night and uh, whether the ladies are going to bring in food and all it takes is a few texts and, you know, before you know it, we got a full course meal. And, of course, the men come, they work together, they get the work done and um, I just praise the Lord for it. Um, You know, I pastored a church where I mowed the lawn We cleaned the church. Um, I took the maintenance man. Uh, I fixed everything. Did all you did all that, and not because there wasn't people that couldn't do things. It's because they hadn't been taught the responsibility that they had as a church. But anyway, so I just want to say I appreciate Lighthouse Baptist Church. Jude, verse 8 through verse 11. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers, of course the word likewise is a connection word. It's really a continuation of describing these men who have crept in unawares and talked about in verse 4. Likewise, these, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh Despise dominion, speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain." and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. So, as we consider this tonight, faith versus human nature. And what we see here is, of course, apostasies, uh, human reasoning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. Thank you for the written record and the instruction that you've given us and the warnings that you've given us in your word of what to look for as we think about, as we consider that there are many in our world who are going about to deceive and are being, and are deceived and are being deceived. I pray, Father, thank you for the, the warnings that you've given us and the instruction you've given us that we can keep ourselves from the evil one. Uh, and not follow in their pernicious ways, as Peter writes. So give us wisdom and understanding in thy truth. Help us to be warned, and to beware, and to be wise concerning these things. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we said, these apostates are deceitful uh, men. They creep in unawares, described in verse 4. Uh, he gives examples of them. We looked at verses 5 through 7 last week and uh, how the Lord 
you know, they have a they have an appearance of faith. They have a an appearance of religion, some form of religion, uh, an appearance of of the truth, or they may have some of the truth. But yet, and and, and you know, this is a typical. Uh, almost all cults teach a measure of truth. If they didn't have a measure of truth, they'd be hard to get a following. But they have a measure of truth, and they mix it with error. Uh, many of it's works-related, and that's what this is, really. Uh, you know, the way of Cain is a works religion. Uh, and so this is, their, this is their, how, they, how they teach and how they live. Uh, and he, he describes him, it was, I think it's considered their methodology in verses, uh, verse 8. He gives us three things. They are filthy dreamers. And the word filthy dreamers means to be beguiled with sensual images and carried away to impious course of conduct. Uh, you know, this, this could refer to, you know, uh, you know, pornography. It could refer to, you know, it, it, you were talking about religious teachers here. It could refer to, uh, you know, of course, one of the common things that, that, that's common knowledge amongst the world is the confessional booth. For years, they've said it's nothing more. Many times, it's used to seduce women because they are required to share everything to the priest. More than they, and they would tell the priest more than they would things that they didn't talk about even with their husbands. You know, if you read uh, Chinaquis' book, Fifty Years in the Church at Rome, and he'll describe that for you and, and, and very clearly. But but so. And they're carried away by his conduct. Um, so, so these you know, these are called filthy dreamers. They defile the flesh. Uh, means to stain or to contaminate or to pollute the flesh. And and of course, many times they do this. They use or, or you know use people to gratify their lusts. It can be lust for power, lust for prestige. You know, it isn't just talking about sexual things, but a lot of it is just a lust for power, a lust for prestige. I remember I was talking to a, a man in, um, from Massachusetts, and he was telling me when we were in Maine, and he was telling me about a, a, an account, uh, a situation that happened, and I think it was in the state of Vermont, where this pastor was uh, uh, found to... Uh, uh, molest some children, and, they, it, and it went to court, which it should have. And uh, in court record, he said they were asked, questioning him concerning, they questioned him some concerning his doctrine, and this was in an independent Baptist church. And he said, I don't believe all that stuff. And he said, well, why are you in the ministry? He said, because it gives me control over people. Control. And if you notice, it says here, they defile the flesh, and they despise dominion. In other words, they despise dominion. Uh, they, don't, they don't want anybody ruling over them. They want to control. They use that which is natural. Verse, notice in verse 10. These speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. Again, this is their, their methodology. 
So what they know naturally, it's like a natural instinct like an animal. Uh, it's not, you know, so it's, it's, it's built on human reasoning. How can I persuade or how can I draw or seduce people into following me? You know, the modern movement that uh, started in the, I guess it was in the 80s or the 90s, I'm trying to remember now. I'm dating myself here. Uh, you know, Willow Creek philosophy. And so they would send out questionnaires to people what they were looking for in a church. And then they designed a church based on the answers they got. Well, if you asked a bunch of unsaved people what they want in a church, what do you expect to get? But just simply human reasoning. You know, they want lots of activities. Fellowships. Um, they aren't interested in, you know, real down-to-earth mission work or holiness. You know, they don't want those things. And that's why they call it seeker-friendly. Seeker-friendly. So we're friendly to those that are seeking what they want in a church. And that's, that's really a salesmanship type thing. I don't know where I got this quote, but I have this quote that says this. Quote, modernism begins with a methodological agenda, not a theological one. It is an attempt to make Christianity more palatable, palatable to the cynical world. So what is adopted is a marketing technique, and whatever elements of the biblical message don't fit the promotional plan must be omitted. Unquote. So, so they're looking for a marketing technique that will draw people in, draw people to the ch- so-called church. You know, preaching that Jesus said you must deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me doesn't really attract people. It's not real attractive to human nature. You know, except a corn of wheat f- fall on the ground and die, it bringeth forth fruit. If you're going to save your life, you're going to lose it. And you're going to lose your life, you're going to save it. Again, that's not real attractive to human nature. That's not good marketing. So that kind of thing must go. Must go. I was at a meeting. This is at an independent Baptist church. And there's two evangelists that they always had preached the last two services seems like. And I was talking to one of them, and he made this statement, and I never forgot it. Quote, we know what works, unquote. And I thought to myself, hmm, to me that sounds like a humanistic philosophy. And he was a well-known, very popular evangelist in independent Baptist circles. That's their methodology. Their theology, again, verse 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. They despise dominion. In other words, they despise authority. They set it aside. They cast it out. The word dominion means power or lordship. It's where we get our word lord or master. Uh, And so they they defile or they despise this dominion and 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 this is really this is really a catholic 
doctrine. Um, it's practiced by a lot of independent Baptists, and I'll demonstrate that. But Augustine was a uh, bishop of Hippo, North African city, and uh, you know he was really the one that laid the groundwork for the Catholic Church. You know the 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 there was you know even before him he died in 429, but he he put in writing a lot of the the the, the things that would from which the Catholic Church would base their doctrines on, which they still hold today. For example, he per, you know and I'm going to just read part of this. But it says, before his death in 429, he produced many important works, including his confessions, the story of his life, up to his conversion, and the city of God. And that was a, a work that he did. In the work, latter work, that is the city of God, he defended Christianity against the pagan charge that neglect of the old gods had caused the downfall of Rome. Rather, said Augustine, Christianity made possible a better kingdom, a heavenly reign through which people can be saved from sin. Now, this is where it gets interesting. The church, which is the city of God, must eventually replace all states and nations and come to rule the world so that mankind may find salvation. Now, that's post-millennialism. You know, that we Christians are going to bring about the kingdom that things are going to get better and better on earth, and we're going to bring about the kingdom, and then Christ is going to come and rule and reign on it. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Paul very clearly said that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And that's what we're seeing happening in the world. But that, that's what he wrote. They're going to replace all nations, states, and nations, come to rule the world, so that mankind may find salvation. It was this teaching which gave the Christians purpose for living during the trying period following the fall of the Roman Empire. Later, it gave rise to those political concepts under which the church, quote-unquote, established its authority over kings and princes in the medieval world, unquote. And this is the doctrine from which the Catholics and a lot of independent Baptists take their philosophy that they are above law. After all, they are the rule of Christ on earth. Now, many of these independent Baptists wouldn't say that, but they will not submit to their churches. Of course, this is the philosophy of Bill Clinton when he was president. This article is titled, Clinton's Presidency, the Most Corrupt in American History. I don't know if they'd still say that, but... Uh, this is titled, this is, the date is December 1st, 1996, by David Mayer. And I want to just read part of this. There's a lot here, but there's part of this that says, and this is the last paragraph that I printed, quote, More ominously, the Clinton administration had resurrected Nixon's doctrine of executive privilege and extended further it further than even President Nixon was willing to go. Not only has Clinton administration invoked the doctrine to justify its failure to turn over documents subpoenaed by Congressional committees, most recently a memo from the uh, from FBI Director Louis Free, that is said to be highly critical of the administration's anti-drug policy, but also here it is to claim immunity for him from civil action lawsuits 
such as Paula Jones' sexual harassment suit, until his term as president expires. Clinton's claim of presidential immunity is extraordinary and unprecedented. It accounts to the claim that the president is above the law, unquote. But this practice is in churches, too. This is an article written by Dr. David Cloud uh, titled The Jack House Philosophy. And it comes out of a book written by Jack House in 1992, published by House Anderson Publishers. And it was titled Justice. And it'll help you understand House philosophy. And Brother Cloud says this, Quote, Howells put himself above the test, being tested by Scripture and reproof for sin and heresy, and he terribly abused the Scripture toward this end. The title of the book should be, quote, Why Jack Howells Cannot Be Judged by Any Man, unquote. Uh, the book contains sermons Howells preached on Wednesday, evening, Wednesday evenings. He emphasized six points that would make it impossible for a church to effectively discipline a pastor and that grant preachers the liberty to live and teach above human accountability, unquote. And, and here's, the, here's six of the things. First, Howells taught that the believer can only judge within his realm of his own authority. Therefore, what that tells you is this. You're not a pastor. So you can't judge a pastor because you're not in the realm of a pastor. Do you know what that does for me? That makes me immune from any judgment from you people, the church. You know, that's, that's Nicolaitanism. Exalting the clergy, and I hate that term, above laymen, and I hate that term. Because we are, we are the church. We are the church. And a pastor is accountable to a church, to his church. This, this is how he describes it. Quote, you are to judge in that area and not in any other area. Not only are you not to take any action about things outside your own area, but you are not to make mental judgments outside of your own area. As a pastor... I am to rule, lead, and my followers or members are to follow. God says everybody is to have his own area of judgment and nobody is to interfere with anybody else's area. It's not your job to figure out what the pastor ought to do in areas of his responsibilities. You are to judge only in your God-given areas. The Bible is telling us not to go in under areas or persons' areas of judgment and criticize even if we know facts concerning a situation. The question I had was, where in the Bible does it say that? He doesn't say where in the Bible it says this. Because it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, let me see. I don't want to read all these for sake of time and bore you with all. All right, third. Let's go to the third. I'm not going to take. Uh, oh, let me go to the second one here. This is interesting too. Second. Yeah, and I'm not reading all this for sake of time. Second, House taught, quote, House taught 
that Christians are not to believe any statement or accusation unless it is made by two witnesses who present their account together. And this is how he describes it. Quote, this is in this book, page 82 and 83. If one person comes accusing a person, do not listen unless he is an eyewitness and has a second eyewitness with him. If someone comes to you and tells you something bad, he heard about someone, you are disobedient if you listen to it. If two witnesses come to you, and if it is inside your jurisdiction, in other words, inside your area of responsibility, there you go, then you must investigate it. These two witnesses come to you together and present to the, their account together. We are not to read accusations against individuals in magazines or newspapers. We're not to listen to them on radio or television. Often a person will come to me to tell me something he saw, and I will tell him that I refuse to receive it unless he has another witness. Unquote. So you can be an eyewitness. It don't matter. Unless you have another eyewitness. Brother Cloud says, quote, contrary to Howell's doctrine, the Apostle Paul warned Timothy about false teachers, compromisers, and black sliders by name, such as Hymenaeus, Philetus, Demas, Alexander the coppersmith. And Timothy listened to Paul's warnings without requiring two witnesses or without pondering whether these men were in his jurisdiction. Unquote. <clears throat> Third, Howell's taught, quote, Howell's taught that it is a sin to accuse someone and and a sin to listen to accusation. Again, this is on this book, Justice, page 4894. It says, quote, I always defend the accused unless it is concerns a broken civil law. I don't know whether or not accused person did that which he is accused of doing, but I do know that the accuser is doing what the devil does. He is accusing the brother. The devil is not a false accuser. The devil is not a false accuser. He is a true accuser. If you accuse someone to me, I am the witness to your sin of accusing. A dear friend of mine who had been a preacher for many years called me one day. Years ago he quit the ministry, but I never knew why. He, he assumed I knew, so he started to tell me about it. I stopped and said, said to him, I do not want to know what bad you did. I just want to know about all the good you did. I try never to believe criticism. I do not know, want to know what someone did that was wrong. I do not want to know what a fellow pastor did or was accused of doing. Often people will ask me if I heard news about someone. I ask them if it was good or bad. If it's bad, I stop them from telling me anymore. I don't want to hear it, unquote. And so, and he uses, he justifies this with, um, you know, saying any accusation is slander. Well, there's a difference between slander and, and, and speaking the truth. And he, he lumps all criticism together with slander. And uh, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> you know, he would, I don't know what he'd do with those of the house of Chloe. You remember in 1 Corinthians? Paul said, it's been commonly reported among you, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1. And then he says, I think it's in chapter 3, that, you know, these things have been told me by the house of Clo. They've reported these things to me. I guess Paul sort of said, hey, I don't want to hear any of the accusations from Corinth. You know what? You don't help people if you don't know the truth. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, 
That was, okay, fourth. Howells did not believe in church discipline. And this is, again, right out of this book, page 53 and 54. Quote, on occasions, deacons have come committed, occasions, deacons have committed what we call gross sin. I called those deacons in. If they admitted what they were accused of doing, I suggested that they resign the deacon board. I did not blab it around. Those deacons have lovely families who do not need to bear the stigma of their daddy's sin just because some preacher thought he was supposed to blab everybody's sin in front of the whole church. That is the way I handle it. I'm not going to get up and broadcast everybody's sin. I'm not going to call my deacons together and reveal why that man has resigned. Unquote. Since when? Since when? And you know, of course, there's no church discipline here. But since when the pastor have the authority by himself just to do that? Uh, of course, this is against the clear teaching of God. Paul told him to, to vote the man out. And of course, this is how he justified his son Dave's continued immorality and many others. The, the list is long and sorted from House Anderson of the, of the uh, immorality there. Um, fifthly, quote, House taught that the only sin that is to re- be reproved publicly is the sin of accusation, unquote. So that's going to put you all in fear. You're not going to say anything about anybody. And that was the goal, of course. And this is how he describes it. Quote, immature Christians use 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20. Go there for a minute. 1 Timothy 5, 19 to 20. <clears throat> First Timothy five nineteen and twenty. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin. Now the word them is referring to who? The elders. The elders that sin. Rebuke before all that others also may fear. He's not talking about those that bring the accusation against the elder. He's talking about the elders that sin. Okay, but here he he refers it to immature Christians uh, use First Timothy five nineteen twenty to defend publicly rebuking people for the entire church. That is ridiculous. Now, again, it's not the place of uh, of uh, uh, you know you know church members to rebuke people in front of the whole church. They have to bring it to the to the to two or three witnesses first, and then it has to be taken before the church. But anyway, and he says this, everyone sins, so what is the scripture teaching? There is only one sin mentioned here, and that is the sin of being a false witness. Unquote. Now, let me read that again. Against an elder, that's a pastor, receive not an accusation but by two or three witnesses. And them that sin, rebuke before others, that also, before all, that others also may fear. Now, he's talking about elders here. If you even notice in verse 17 and 18, he's talking about elders. That's who he's talking about. And so he's, the, the word them is referring to the elders that sin. And they're to be rebuked. It's not talking about witnesses. Witnesses. 
You know, he goes on, quote, God is teaching us in his word that false accusers should be rebuked for everybody. The sin discussed in 1 Timothy 5.19 is not the sin of the accused, but the sin of the one doing the, doing the accusing, unquote. You know, this is a resting of the scriptures, a twisting of the scriptures to cover his own tracks. Because there were those who tried to correct him. But he was shattered down. They were always shattered down. You see, according to Howell's perverted teaching, this is what Brother Cloud says, quote, according to Howell's perverted teaching, pastors above discipline and cannot be rebuked by the church. The only members that can rebuke publicly are those who bring an accusation. And of course, this is contrary to 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20, as well as 1 Corinthians 5 and Matthew 18, 15 to 19. Sixthly, number six, and this isn't all of them, this is just some of them. Howell's taught that God's people need human heroes that should never be criticized, unquote. I quote, this is Dr. House. I still feel the same awe toward Lee Roberts, Dr. Lee Robertson as I did the first time I met him. The fact is that Dr. Robertson has grown even as I have grown. I do not assume that I have caught up to him, so he still is my hero. I was with Dr. John R. Rice for many years. I knew he had feet of clay. I could have found his weaknesses if I had wanted to, but I didn't want to because I wanted Dr. Rice to remain as my hero. In fact, I tried to avoid seeing his faults. I feel sorry for people who think that they have grown to the level of their heroes. If you ever lose your heroes, you lose your security. My question, unquote, my question is, where is his security? Sounds to me like his security is not in Jesus Christ. His security is in Dr. Lee Robertson, Dr. John R. Rice, and his heroes. That's not where our security is supposed to be. Quote, your life is not going to be rich if you lose your heroes. The best preacher will be the one with a hero, unquote. Guess I'm not a best preacher because I don't have heroes. I have men that I respect. But I also know they're men. I don't worship them. There's no, this is idolatry. That's what this is. This is idolatry, plain and simple. And this is the kind of thing that he demanded from his church people. Uh, in September 99, Brother Cloud uh, published an article entitled Unquestioning Loyalty to Pastoral, Pastoral Leadership is the mark of a cult, unquote. And, uh, uh, <clears throat> and this was the philosophy of Jack Howells, and this was the kind of stuff that was taught at uh, pastor schools that they had. And, and one of the things he would do would be, for example, uh, he would have one of his deacons come up to the platform and then would repeatedly make a demanding type of demand before the crowd of astonished preachers such as, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, etc. And the deacon would, you know, obey instantly and joyfully to this silly demonstration and proving that he was loyal to his preacher. And Brother Cloud, Brother Cloud says, in one of his sermons I have on tape, Hal said this, quote, If I told my deacons to bow down and kiss my feet, they would do it. He also said that if he told his deacons to jump off a bridge, they would do it. 
Brother Cloud says they probably would have too. But it does not prove that they are men of God. It proves rather they are willing to give honor to a mere sinful man that the honor belongs only to the Son of God. You know, when Jude says this, they despise dominion. Now, we're talking about church people. So we're talking about these that have crept into the church unawares in the church. So, would it not be true to say that the dominion they despise is the authority of the church. And this is the this is the this is what they've done. Of course they also despise, you know, along with that goes, you know, if they'll despise the authority of the church, they despise all authority. They think they're above the law. This is this is why it's been so difficult bringing to justice Catholic priests and their molesting of children is because the Catholic Church covers it up because the Catholic Church believes it is above the law. So, they despise authority or dominion. Secondly, they discredit authority. Verse 8 says... They speak evil of dignities. That means they rail or revile or blaspheme dignities, those, again, those in place of authority. Uh, and, you know, and really, this is what this kind of thing is doing, is to, is to rail on uh, the voice of the church. You know, the, the pastor isn't the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is. Paul said the church is a pillar and ground of the church, not the pastor. True, the pastor is the leader, but he's still accountable to the church. Verse 10 says, They speak evil of those things which they know not. You know, this guy doesn't even understand church polity. Or policy. I'm talking about Jack House. And Jack House is dead. He's been dead for quite a few years. But his philosophy is alive and well. That's their theology. Thirdly, their practice. And again, we have three examples, just as we had three examples last week. Uh, verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the other Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. The way of Cain. The way of Cain is, of course, Cain rejected the way of faith. He rejected that which is spiritual. He, he, re, he, 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 he deferred to that which was natural. Human nature. Just as we... As we notice, you know, they defile the flesh. They 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 are like brute beasts. So he 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 deferred to human nature. He 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 didn't he didn't have any any uh, attraction to that which is spiritual. He just did what pleased him. 
what he thought would satisfy him, what he thought was right. And of course, he brought the fruit of the ground. He did not believe God. He rejected God's method of redemption. He rejected a blood sacrifice. He rejected a substitution for sin. I don't need a substitute. I'm not that bad. I don't need to defend myself. In that way, a lot of people are. I was talking to Pastor Webb this past week. And we were talking a little bit about what I preached on this morning. He said when he was in college, this man came to his dorm to talk to him about the Lord. And he said it appears he was under conviction because he came to me. He said, I didn't even seek him out. He came to me. But then he, he ended with this question. But if I get saved... Does that mean I have to quit dancing? And Pastor Webb said, I understand then what I understand now. And he said, I simply said, well, what do you think? And he said, the guy turned around and left and never came back. Why? He wasn't going to deny himself the pleasures of life. That which appealed to his flesh, he was not going to deny himself. And that was Cain. Human reasoning, a works religion. What I do. Again, you know, and again, I, I, I'm afraid that many, in, even independent Baptist churches, have, have fallen into this trap by relying on their prayer, not a surrender of their heart. And that's works. The second thing we see here is the heir of Balaam. Uh, the heir of Balaam for reward. You know, Balaam was a preacher for hire. He, he, he wanted a following. He wanted to make gain from his service for the Lord. That was his driving force. His driving force was not to please the Lord. His driving force is, what can I get out of it? He was like Judas. You know, Judas, you think about it. Judas spent three and a half years of his life following the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you know, Jesus describes that life as... You know, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has not where to lay his head, but Judas is looking for an opportunity to make some money out of this deal. That's how he sees it as a deal. And he did. But it blew up in his face. You know, Numbers, and here's the sad thing, Balaam knew he was wrong. Numbers 23 to 34 says this, And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I knew that thou stoodest in the way against me. And thou therefore, if it displeased thee. Now I want you to think about this. He just said, I have sinned. 
And then he asked the question, if it displeased thee. Didn't he know that his sin displeased the Lord? To me, that's a D-U-M dumb question. You know, he says, I knew that thou stoodest in the way against me. So if it displeased thee, I will get me back again. So, so if it does displease you, I know that I have sinned, and you stood in the way against me. You were prepared to kill me. So if it displeases you for me to go on, I'll go back. Okay, how many times do you have to tell this guy, you're in sin? What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is against God's will. But he asks again. You know, this is really the third time he asks. Because remember, the first time, they came to him and asked if he would come to them and curse Israel. And so he asked the Lord, and the Lord said no. Simply said no. You're not to curse them that I blessed. And so Balaam gives an answer. And they return to the king of Moab. And the king of Moab sends more gifts. And more riches and more honor and trying to entice Balaam. And so Balaam decides, well, let me ask again. God already said no. In plain English. No, plain Hebrew probably. Uh, But anyway, in plain words. And so he asked again. The Lord said, okay, go. If you basically what he's saying is, look, if you're going to persist in going and doing your own thing, go ahead. And here he is again, if it displeased thee. He already knows what he's doing is wrong, is an offense against God. But see, he is determined that he's going to get rich off of this deal. And he didn't turn back. He continued on. Refusing to see that when God says no, we must take it as a no. You know, instead, God gave Balaam what his sinful heart desired. In fact, look at in Second Peter chapter two, verses fifteen and sixteen. You know, there's a lot of wording, sort of like Jude in Second Peter two. In verses fifteen and sixteen, it says this: "Which have forsaken the right way and are going astray, following the way of Balaam." the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, being rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. In other words, the, 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 the donkey speaking, it says forbade. In other words, he, he restrained or checked the madness of the prophet. You know, he was so mad, they began to beat his donkey to death. And the donkey started talking to him. And that restrained him. That checked him. Oh. I don't know. If your bird started talking to you, you'd be really freaked out, wouldn't you? If that goat starts talking to me, I'm going to be really freaked out some morning. Probably be Daniel hiding in there somewhere. But Numbers 22:35 goes on and says, And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men. Hey, if you persist in having your own way, God will say, okay, go ahead. But you know what? And he taught Balak 
how to compromise, how to seduce the men of Israel. In the situation of Bethar, Beth, um, where the women seduced the men of Israel and, and God brought a plague and had to judge them for it. But you know what happened to Balaam? He got killed when they took, when they went in. You see, here was a man who persisted in what he wanted. He persisted in his own way. God would say, all right, go ahead. Psalm 106, verse 14 15 speaks of this to the children of Israel. But they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And God gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. You know, the heir of Balaam is a willingness to compromise the word of God for wealth and promotion of this world. He wanted both. He wanted to have God, and he wanted the promotion of man. You can't have that. Jesus clearly said in Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The third example we see is the gainsaying of Korah. By the way, and again, this is what Jack Howe's got. He was worshipped, and still is. Still is. In fact, I wrote a pastor here just a year or so ago about Hal's methodology. I didn't get a very nice answer. They still worship that methodology and that Hal's philosophy. Uh, but he was very popular. The gainsaying of core. They perished in the gainsaying of core. The word the gainsaying means contradiction to dispute, means opposition, rebellion. And it was rebellion against the word of God. Numbers 16.3 says, And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Now, did Moses go seeking for a position to lead the children of Israel out of the wilderness? Well, the account I read was he was in the backside of the desert keeping sheep and the Lord appeared to him and gave him the responsibility and the position of leadership of leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. The sad thing is Korah was a Levite. That means he had a position. He served in the tabernacle. Now he was not of the priestly line, a family of Aaron, but he was a Levite. He had his own God-appointed sphere of ministry. You know, they, some of them took care of taking down the, 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 the tabernacle when it was to be transported. Others had other things to do, you know, responsible for different things and so on in the tabernacle. So, so he had a position of service in the tabernacle. But he was not content with that. He wanted Moses and Aaron's position. He wanted leadership. He wanted the authority of Moses. But Korah needed to learn this essential lesson. We should work hard to fulfill everything God has called us to be. But at the same time, we should never try to be what God has not called us to do. This rebellion of Korah one, one says, quote, The rebellion of Korah lies in the broader area of contemptuous and determined assertion of self against 
divinely appointed ordinances. That's from the pulpit commentary, unquote. You know, Moses was chosen by God. Therefore, this is not a rejection of Moses. It's a rejection of God and His Word. You know, when Jack Howell says these things, it's not a rejection of just the church. It's rejection of God. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a rejection of the Word of God. And Jesus is the Word. You know, as much as they can boast about being the Lordship of Christ and all that, they're not submitting to it. You know, all this, again, is fruit of what they, quote, know naturally, following human reason. You know, all those things that I read to you about, you know, the, uh, those six things from Jack House, none of them were scriptural. None of them. It's a rejection of faith in God's design. The salesmanship that we see in churches today, the, the seeker-friendly churches, it's not scriptural. It's not scriptural methods. You know, we, don't have, we don't have the right to legislate our practice. We don't make the law. We're just executors. That means we carry out what has already been legislated. So we're to carry out, simply carry out what God has given us in His Word. Otherwise, it is a rejection of faith in God's Word and God's prescribed method. And this is the examples that he gives us. This is what we see happening in many places of our world today, in Christian circles. But we are to hold fast. We're to contend for that faith which was once delivered. And we have to beware of the dangers that are out there. How is it I think Ronald Reagan used to say something to the fact that, you know, uh, America is only one generation away from um, communism or something like that. I think he had a quote like that. And, you know, that it's often been true. People have said that a church is only one pastor away from apostasy. But, you know, that really shouldn't be. To me, to me that always striked as the pastor is too highly thought of and hasn't done a good job of teaching his people. So might help Lord help us to be faithful and to hold fast to the things that he has given us and the methods he has given us. They are spiritual. They're not brute, beasts or natural. They're spiritual.